You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. In an era of supposed shareholder engagement, it's curious that more and more companies are opting for virtual-only AGMs. On today's program, part two of Is Virtual Inevitable? You know, the in-person annual shareholder meeting has been a part of the fabric of publicly traded companies going back for, you know, hundreds of years. So it's not asking much to say, let's take a pause and consider what we would be giving up. Council of Institutional Investors Director of Research Glenn Davis on why online-only shortchanges investors. And the class of 2016. Most Fortune 100 companies refreshed board composition last year, and nearly 60% added at least one independent director. An UI survey paints a snapshot of the future boardroom. We knew boards were refreshing, but I don't think anyone anticipated this level of change. Who are these people anyway? We'll look into the qualifications and characteristics of the latest crop of rookie independent directors elected to corporate America's biggest firms. But first, here's this week's IR update. Investor relations can be a great career path, especially if you're a man. Despite starting from an almost 50-50 male-to-female base across IR as a whole, IR Magazine research shows that two-thirds of top IR jobs globally are held by men. Regionally, 70% of FTSE 100 heads of IR are men. Almost four-fifths of top S&P 100 IROs are men. In Canada, 70% of S&P TSX 60 IROs are men. And on Germany's DAX... Men run the IR departments at 26 of the country's 30 largest companies. You'll find more about the dropping off of women climbing the corporate IR ladder in the summer issue of IR Magazine. When it comes to IR websites, what do institutional investors want? A PR Newswire survey says corporate content is far more attractive than market data. The poll found 95% of institutional investors visit IR websites to watch straightforward, non-deal roadshow slide presentations. 0% reported they visit IR websites to get a stock price. Finally, more CEOs than ever are getting fired for unethical behavior. A PwC report shows the percentage of CEOs forced out for ethical lapses has increased globally from 3.9% between 2007 and 2011 to 5.3% between 2012 and 2016. The report's authors suggest the figures reflect increasing scrutiny rather than rising moral turpitude. Refreshment. Refreshment. A new EUI Center for Board Matters report reveals an accelerating trend towards board refreshment at America's largest companies. IR Magazine's Garnet Roach asked EY's Kelly Hunnikins about what it all means for boardrooms. These directors are clearly bringing to the table enhanced board diversity. 
Almost 40% are women. Only half are former CEOs. They're generally younger, and perhaps most interesting, 17% of the entering class are new to public company boards. Hennigan says a broad coalition of stakeholders are driving the push for diversity. We need to credit the institutional investors who've been championing board diversity for decades. There have been many, many studies about the correlation between diversity and a company's financial and operational performance. We also need to recognize the work done by companies and policy groups. We're living in an age of disruption and technological change, and the ability for boards to be more dynamic and innovative and think out of the box is now more important, and a company's competitive advantage. Hennekins has a few tips for IROs when it comes to telling investors about the work they're doing around board diversity. Some companies are remarkable at showcasing board composition, director qualifications, and their approach to board refreshment. They might use fancy graphics or even video. There is an opportunity for other companies to do more. I also think this doesn't necessarily require a lot of resources. For example, there could be brief language showing how director qualifications connect with a company's strategic priorities. A company could note the percentage of directors who are female or of a different race, ethnicity, or nationality. Um, investors, like everyone else, are short on time. So graphics are great, but the key thing here is to have the information accessible. If others are doing a search on your proxy statement for diversity, what would they find? You'll find great reporting on communications around these issues at irmagazine.com. Virtual-only annual general meetings are cheap, legal, and trendy. So... Why not have one? IR Magazine's Max Truman interfaced with Council of Institutional Investors Director of Research Glenn Davis on the case against all virtual AGMs. Hello, Glenn. Well, what have you got to lose? Companies should consider that there are drawbacks to going virtual only that could, you know, have some long-term consequences. When you talk about um, setting the tone for responsiveness to investors, being willing to listen for one day out of the year to investors who want to stand before uh, management or the board and voice their views, we don't see it as, as too much to ask. Tone schmoen. It's cheaper. The appeal to companies doing this is on its face cost savings, but beyond that, there's a, an appeal toward greater control, exercising greater control over what happens at the shareholder meeting. And uh, as, as you may know, companies that go virtual only basically get a, a dashboard of all incoming electronically submitted questions. And, you know, of course, they get to sort of pick and choose among those submitted questions, which ones they will prioritize for answering live, which ones they might answer after the meeting, whether or not those answers will be available to all shareholders or just the person who asked that question. It just affords a great deal of discretion to companies to basically field questions that they want to field and turn away from questions that they don't want to face. Yes, Glenn. I'm glad you brought that up. 
We don't want things to get out of control. So why at this juncture should we do away with you know, an in-person element just because we have technology to broaden participation? The technology exists, Glenn. You created it. In fact, some of these virtual meetings that are happening, the virtual only meetings, are not even providing a video component. So, you know, you can imagine um, how frustrating it would be for a shareholder at a company with a market cap in the tens of billions of dollars to have an audio broadcast of its of its annual meeting. The cost of providing a, a video screen of what's going on at that meeting is so minimal compared to what the company can afford. You know, it's truly our, our concern that the effort is not being made sufficiently to recreate virtually what actually happens in person. What if one day soon it was all a pure, perfect virtual experience? Well, maybe we'll get there, but the technology that we're seeing in 2017 right now shows to us that there are asymmetries between what management sees with these tools and what the shareholders see. You know, so there's, there's aspects of um, imbalance going on here. So we're a long way away from, you know, sort of recreating that type of virtual experience. Look, Glenn, I can see you're really upset about this. If I may ask, what do you plan on doing about it? Our strategy is to communicate with boards to make sure that particularly governance nominating committees and the full board have had a full conversation about what are some of the disadvantages of going virtual only. We feel that's the appropriate way to go in the, in the system that we have. Sure. So I guess you're trying to inject a better idea into the system. A hybrid meeting is a great way to enhance an IR team's total engagement program, and we see it's a lost opportunity when companies decide that virtual only is is the right way to go. Uh, absolutely, we encourage companies to consider using any kind of technology that broadens participation, but you can do that without barring shareholders from showing up in person. I think you're all alone on this, Glenn. The law says it's okay. Plus, did I mention it's cheap? And our perspective on the cost savings argument is that Companies should also consider ways to reduce the cost of the in-person element if cost savings is such an important priority. You know, how about investigating what it would cost to have a bare-bones public meeting without the, the frills, um, without the, the swag, without the entertainment, or what have you. We certainly don't expect, you know, a Walmart-style or a Berkshire Hathaway-style annual meeting, um, but... You know, if it's a possible way to keep that in-person element by having just a simple room with a pot of coffee, then, then do it. Okay. So what response did you get to your strongly worded letters? You know, there's some openness to um, evaluating experiences from this year and uh, considering, but one thing we do find very challenging on this issue is that the two points of view tend to be talking across each other. So, for example, when we reach out to companies about the hybrid approach being a sensible way to do it, 
we get responses back saying this technology is a great way to involve even more shareholders. And absolutely, we don't dispute that. That's not the issue. The concern with sort of engaging on this particular issue is that we're talking across each other instead of talking about, um, I guess, the, the core uh, debate, which is, do you need to do away with your in-person opportunity just because this technology is available? And there's issues with the nomenclature and there's issues with the rhetoric around this. And, you know, we think there's probably a lot of investors who aren't fully aware when companies say we're, we're going to have a virtual meeting that they're actually going to ax their in-person element. Um, and, you know, there are some companies that are doing uh, hybrid and calling that a virtual meeting. So there's confusion about terminology. Human error, Glenn. Perhaps something just gets lost in the translation. But remind us then, one last time, what is the core debate? There's no debate that this technology is the way the world is moving. But are we going to use it to enhance what we currently have? Or are we going to use it to shift to a new dynamic that shifts control and more in the direction of the agents of the owners of the company? We, we, we're not uh, pretending that we're going to stop the spread of this technology by writing letters to companies and, and conveying our concerns. But we do think that some companies will be listening, and we think that some boards are going to take a very thoughtful approach to this. And we wouldn't be surprised to see a more measured approach to some of these issues to truly attempt to either preserve the in-person meeting or insist upon providing virtual participants with an experience that truly does um, come close to recreating that in-person experience. Because we do think there's something to be lost if companies increasingly switch to a virtual-only format. That's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. Drop us a line at editorial at irmagazine.com. And join us again virtually this Wednesday, May 31st. Find out how to build a better IR website for the next IR Magazine webinar. Sign up at Bright Talk. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassell. been listening to the ticker podcast from ir magazine for free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis register at irmagazine.com or download the app